Hello, this is OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. Welcome back. This week, we have 321 Go with Cosmo Macero. We're talking about ballot initiatives in Massachusetts, the need for college graduates and young professionals to stay in mom and dad's house, and Prime Motor Group's new Prime Flip offering, where members will have on-demand access to a variety of vehicles, all at the touch of an app. Also, Suzanne Morris in our office talks to Arthur Robert, Director of Community and Economic Development for the City of Framingham. During the recent International Bio Convention in Boston, the City of Framingham, together with some of its regional partners, invited conference attendees out to Framingham and the Metro West area to learn more about why the bio and life science businesses are calling this area of the Commonwealth home. And in two minutes with Tom this week, our CEO Tom O'Neill talks about immigration policies including the incredibly harsh policies that have been separating children from their parents as they try to seek asylum at our borders. First up, three, two, one, go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, the official podcast series of O'Neill & Associates, New England's leader in public affairs. My name is Cosmo Macero, your host for 321 Go, where each week we take a brief but purposeful look at three important stories from the universe of public affairs, business, government, culture, and the economy. In this installment of 321 Go, A major ruling by the Supreme Judicial Court this week struck down a proposed ballot initiative that sought to impose a surtax on the highest incomes in Massachusetts. The death of the so-called millionaire's tax means the pressure will almost certainly be on to find revenues elsewhere for transportation and other priorities. We'll take a look at that and several other ballot questions that could have an impact on you. And... Millennials are getting jobs and enjoying the strong economy, but many are still living at home with their parents. What's the problem? You guessed it, housing costs are out of control. We'll discuss. Finally, you've heard of flip this house. Well, now you can flip that car. In fact, you can flip lots of cars over and over and drive some of the best motor vehicles available whenever you want with a new service from Prime Motor Group. We'll explain. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson, a communication strategist, senior director at O'Neill & Associates, and the official voice of OA on air. Kyan, tell me something good. Something good. Well, Stephen Ear had a column in the Boston Globe a couple of weeks ago that I was really impressed with and have been thinking about ever since. So I'm going to take my tell me something good moment today to, to do a plug, a congratulations, and a kudos to Brianna Williams, who recently graduated from Harvard Law School. Uh, She is a single mom with a newborn baby, uh, walked across the stage with her baby in a little cap and gown as if that wasn't cute enough. But the most impressive thing, I think, is that uh, last year when she was in labor, Brianna was at the hospital finishing a final to get through the semester so that she could finish up law school. And I just think that that's absolutely amazing. Um, I'm awestruck Wait, by it. Wait, did she in labor? She was in labor. Get out of town. Absolutely. In labor. She said, give me the epidural, and she finished <laughs> <laughs> She finished her final from the hospital bed and then went on to finish law school after. And um, Stephen here had a great story in The Globe a couple weeks ago, 
And I just, uh, my my kudos and congrats go out to her. That is Lots not something good. That is something amazing. Yes. So we uh, we salute Brianna. Kyan Isaacson over-delivering as always. <laughs> That's a nice pun. Okay, then. Let's get to it. The Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court this week rejected the Fair Share Amendment, uh, otherwise known as the Millionaire's Tax Ballot Question. Now, this would have imposed a higher income tax rate for personal earnings above $1 million. By the way, it doesn't necessarily mean you are a millionaire if you have a million dollars in annual income, but I'm not going to get into that. Uh, it's a levy that would have brought in an estimated $2 billion in new revenue next year. What it would have done, a four percentage point surcharge to personal income of over a million. So the tax rate on that first million in earnings would be at the current 5.1%, and then 9.1% on all income above that threshold. That was the proposal. I think there was polling that suggested over 65% of voters in Massachusetts favored it. Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts struck it down as unconstitutional. Again, the Revenue Department of Massachusetts estimated somewhere between $1.6 and $2.2 billion, that's a B, new revenue 2019, it's not coming. We're not getting that money, Cayenne. What do you think? Well, what's really interesting about the decision this week is actually everything that came after. There were a few other ballot initiatives in the works that may have found some resolution in the aftermath of the Supreme Court ruling on the Fair Share Amendment. So there's a proposal to reduce the sales tax, uh, which would reduce it from 6.25% to 5%, could lower the state collections by an estimated $1 billion. Um, and now that the fair share amendment won't be on the ballot, that question has a lot of different implications. Uh, there's also the proposal to raise the minimum wage. Currently, it's $11 an hour. This would bring it up to $15 an hour. And then there's the Paid Family and Medical Leave Act, which would make employees eligible for job-protected paid leave, whether they have serious illness or injury, to care for a family member or a new child, and employers would be prohibited from retaliating against workers who took time off. Um, so within days of the court decision to strike down the Fair Share Amendment, the legislature established what's called the Grand Bargain that passed in both the House and the Senate. For anyone who doesn't know, the grand bargain is essentially a compromise or package deal of these issues. It includes an increase of the minimum wage, as well as an increase in hourly wages for tipped workers, but phased in over five years. It includes paid family and medical leave and an established annual sales tax holiday. Uh, so the grand bargain has left the legislature, and as of today, the governor has 10 days to sign it. So also this week, the Supreme Judicial Court ruled that the issue of nurse staffing, which would impose limits on the number of patients a nurse can be assigned to care for, can go to the ballot in November. Uh, support of the initiative say it's necessary because nurses are often overburdened with too many patients. Opponents say that the staffing mandates are too rigid, it won't actually improve patient safety, and will actually contribute to rising health care costs. So that's moving forward. Uh, there's a lot still in the works and still some decisions for voters to make in November. But a lot to keep an eye on, and uh, really the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court this week absolutely making news uh, and really shaking up uh, the landscape when it comes to taxation. All right. Next up, if you've been paying attention over the past year, we've all learned that baby boomers and Gen Xers are becoming trapped in their homes because housing costs won't allow them to downsize. Well, guess what? 
Now they're being trapped in the house with their adult kids. Now, I know what you're thinking, Cayenne. You're like, okay, here we go. This is another one of those failure-to-launch diatribes. It really isn't. In this case, right, these millennials, uh, a lot of these kids, uh, young people, they have jobs. They're, they're, they're excited to get going with their lives and their careers. The economic conditions are not allowing that, right? They, they, they have the future that they want sort of mapped out in front of them, but the big obstacle is the cost of housing, right? Uh, there was a recent study, 30% of, of new college graduates or recent college graduates in their 20s lived with their parents in 2016. That's up from 20% 10 years ago. That's actually a big jump over, over, over a decade. And, and the big culprit here, again, housing, not just the cost of, of, of a new home or apartment or condo, but, but rental housing. Just the housing market is really choking out the ability of these of these young people uh, to begin their their lives in full the way they want to. What do you think? I don't think it's any college student, young professional's dream to graduate college and move back in with mom and dad. I just, I don't think that's the way. We're not, dream. we're not, that's, yeah. that's not what they want. Uh, I don't, so failure to launch, no. Except that guy who got sued by his parents to get out of the house, but, he, but he's like 38. Yeah, he's that's a whole different. Set it of is problems a different story. That, it really is. And you know, maybe his mom was a really good cook. Who knows? Who knows why people stick around for as long as they do? But it's hard to go backwards. You've had you know however many years of freedom, and you're doing your own thing and living on your own. I don't think it's the ideal to move back into your parents' house if you can avoid it for most people. Um, but not only high rent and housing, forget buying a house, even you know, renting an apartment with friends is, is seemingly unreachable these days. But then you pair that with really high payments for college loans, uh, and these, you know, they're, they're kind of stuck. They don't have a choice. Um, I've lived with my in-laws uh, since being a, a young, when I was a young professional, uh, off and on a couple of times between renting and buying or what have you. I've been very fortunate that I have that opportunity, but no, it's never ideal. Um. No, you're absolutely right. Student, you know, I, I, I was, um, spent some time talking to a young doctor, ER doctor, the other day. Uh, uh, terrific young guy, starting a family. He is out on his own, just bought a house with his wife, and they have one, one, one young child. And he's like, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, things are good, but I've got $250,000 in student loans. He's got a mortgage for his home and a mortgage for his education. Basically, it's unbelievable, and that really is. And, and he's a doctor, and he's he's getting he's he's going to be okay, I imagine. But it's 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 weighing on him. Well, imagine if you're a social worker. Imagine if you're someone just getting started in sales. Imagine if you're a journalist like I was. You know, yeah, a teacher. Um, a, a teacher. I mean, it's it's the marketplace is still the same. You know, there's not specialized lower cost rental housing for teachers and journalists and, 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 and young salesmen and so forth. So it's really a problem. Um, the, the policy solutions are varied and, and maybe not many, but they're varied um, addressing both the student debt crisis, which absolutely is a national epidemic. It is the next big, it isn't the next bubble, it's the bubble that's already arrived. I'd, I'd be very happy if somebody wanted to come and take care of my student debt. I'm, sh I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. You've got people well into their, uh, into their adult lives paying down student debt. Uh, and then housing, which is to some degree a national dynamic, but certainly here uh, where we sit in greater Boston, 
a regional uh, crisis, the cost of housing, which uh, coupled with student debt for, some, for many uh, young people is, is making life really difficult. We have to remember too, for a lot of these recent graduates that are graduating in the Boston area, they're graduating from really excellent top-notch schools and they still are coming out with an inability to afford everything that they need and or want to afford. Um, so if it's that bad here, I'm, you know, it's not, it's not unique to Boston, uh, I'm sure, but we've got we've to figure out how to grapple with it. Otherwise, we're going to have people all just multi-generations living together under one roof. And I think for some of these parents, they're ready to see their kids go, too. Yeah, no, I, th I think that they are. And I think parents are being understanding and, and, and recognize that, the, that this is a tremendously difficult circumstances for uh, for their, um, their, 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 their young adult or younger adult uh, 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 children. Um, Boston Globe had a pretty interesting story, sort of anecdotally dealing with a couple of people in this situation. And, and, and sort of the featured person in the story said that he doesn't, he doesn't really feel the social stigma, this failure to launch stigma, because it is a different set of circumstances. He wants out. He's play, he's, his goal is, I'm out of here in a year no matter what, um, because... He needs to be able uh, to, to make it on his own in a way uh, that, he, that he can get his life started. He says a lot of parents now are more understanding about this because it's just, it's not as cheap to live as when they came to Boston. And I think that's the key thing. If you live in this community, if you live in greater Boston or in Massachusetts, and you've been here a while, you recognize, hey, wait a second. When I just got out of college, I was making, I, I, I barely had a couple nickels to rub together. I, you know, I, I, and, and I, I, I was broke, and we still made it. We still got by. That's because the, the economics were very, very different. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I think these kids are still willing to eat ramen noodles and mac and cheese if that's what it takes to be on their own. They're not looking to, you know, be able to eat at five-star restaurants every day, but they can't even eat ramen noodles and mac and cheese and afford rent and pay their college debt. That's, that's just not right. That's, that, there's something wrong with that, yes. All right, Cayenne, thanks. And finally, membership programs are really changing how consumers access a wide variety of products and services. And this week, we saw one of the Northeast's leading automotive retailers, the Prime Motor Group, introduce a premium-level membership program for new motor vehicles. And I mean some of the best motor vehicles on the market. Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Porsche, Audi, as well as Acura, Ford, Toyota, Chrysler, Chevrolet, all high-end models. Prime Flip, that's what it's called, gives members access to an unlimited number of vehicles per month in a premium high-end sort of concierge service program. Prime Flip gives members access to an unlimited number of vehicles per month. That's what it's called, Prime Flip. Members get access to a fleet of high-end premium luxury vehicles, the ability to flip sedans, trucks, SUVs for not different week, different occasions, uh, specific needs. You're going to a certain type of fancy event, boom, you flip out of one car, you get the other vehicle, you, you take that model. There's the Prime Flip On Demand app, that's how you access this. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a pretty remarkable service offering that they're rolling out, and, and, and it's absolutely for the premium customer. Um, um, it's, it, they like to say, or they're saying, it's, it's like having a multi-vehicle garage at the push of a button. 
Cayenne, it's a pretty interesting service and certainly aimed at the high-end market. Um, but it's also kind of a natural evolution of how people are getting access to the things they want in new ways. Uh, and in this case, um, it, it, it really gives at your fingertips uh, your ability to, to try all different types of driving experiences. Yeah, I think that people want what they want when they want it now these days. So the idea that uh, you can do it through the app, which is how we do just about everything else in our lives. Uh, the idea that you can change cars with your outfit or your mood or whatever it is you happen to be doing that day. Maybe you're going tailgating to a concert. You want to have a big SUV. And then maybe the next night you're going out for dinner, down driving down the Cape, and it's a nice night, so you want a convertible. Uh, but then you don't have to pay for the upkeep of all of these cars, and you don't have to or the, house or and the storage. And or the excise tax. Do any or of those registry. things. All that stuff is included. How do you know it's a high-end service? Well, it, it's priced at the high end. It's $19.95 per month, a little bit less than $2,000 per month, and there's a, there's a fee to join up. But you get concierge service, okay? So that means... There's a concierge assigned to you that studies your driving preferences and matches your vehicle and makes suggestions and recommendations. And again, unlimited flips per month. Um, it's, um, it's, it's pretty remarkable, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how it plays out and rolls out. But uh, Prime Motor Group, you know, again, one of the leading retailers in New England in, in the Northeast region, is, is kind of first with their oar in the water around here with this kind of service. Yeah, I th I, my guess is it's going to be successful. People, I think, want more things that they don't have to deal with the aggravation of these days. And, you know, while it is perhaps geared towards the, the luxury client, uh, nothing wrong with that, it's, it's not that far off. If you think of people who own maybe an SUV and a convertible, and then maybe they have a car that they also, you know, take to the dump or, you know, take to the beach or something, if you've got three car payments and three, you know, they just bundled it up for you in a nice little package. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about where you're going to put them. You don't have to take care of them. Uh, I would guess in the winter, you don't have to get them out of a, out of a snowed in garage. I mean, there's a lot of parks here. No, there definitely is. I mean, if you like to drive like I do, I drive a truck and, uh, you know, um, Owning a car is, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a it's an experience. It's a fun experience. It's it's one that just I guess you know, it's it's commonplace, right? But um, if you could take away the sort of re the responsibility parts a little bit and, and and make and make them a little bit easier on on someone, and then give them access to all these different vehicles, it's a uh, it's a pretty powerful, um, uh, in, in my opinion, offering. It's a pretty powerful marketing device, uh, and, and the idea that. You know, you you can all these different types of vehicles you can try and, and experience for however long you want. Um, I think that that's going to appeal. And, and, and Prime Motor Group is they've identified a pretty small number of uh, of members that, that, that they want to reach initially. Um, I think that they will because um, you know it's the kind of premium service that there's going to be a market for. Absolutely, I think that uh, fast forward a few years from now this is going to be more commonplace than, than it is. That app, uh, well, number one, you can enroll online at primeflip.com. Uh, you can also enroll by downloading the Prime Flip app. That's at the, um, at the uh, iOS app store and the Google Play store. That's primeflip, primeflip.com. Okay, then. That's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. 
Cayenne, you know, I feel this episode, we, we really kind of hit our stride. We're finding our 3-2-1-go groove. I think we are. Before you know it, we'll be able to mail it, just mail it in. Um, all right, terrific. 3-2-1-go is recorded in Studio 10A. That's just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building here in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masseri. That's all for 321 Go. Up next, Arthur Robert from the City of Framingham on the burgeoning bio and life sciences sector in Framingham and the Metro West. This is Suzanne Morse, Vice President at O'Neill & Associates, and I'm on the line with Arthur Robert, who is the Director of the City of Framingham's Community and Economic Development Division. Framingham recently participated in a tour for life science exec- executives attending the bioconference in Boston who might be interested in looking at the Metro West region to expand or locate to, and Art is here today to tell us a little bit more about that event and the growing cluster of life sciences businesses in Framingham and beyond. Welcome, Art. Thank you, Suzanne. Pleasure. Um, So as I just said, you recently helped to organize this tour for Metro West um, for individuals who come from all over the world to attend the bioconference. Tell us what you think should appeal to those life science executives about the Framingham Metro West area. Well, thank you. Um, As you may know, the Metro West region is a thriving Uh, location for life sciences companies, small and large, biopharma, as well as medical device. And as we've done some research here in Framingham, we've we've noticed that uh, there's a critical mass here of successful companies. And that critical mass is benefiting from a number of important factors, including great access to Boston along uh, the, the Massachusetts Turnpike that includes immediate uh, access to international air travel through Logan International Airport. All of that includes great access to uh, the Boston-Cambridge innovation ecosystem. But we also have, as a differentiator, a a much lower uh, cost of doing business here. Uh, Rents and and land costs are substantially lower than uh, in Boston-Cambridge, where competition is keen. And we also offer an excellent quality of life for uh, the folks who are working in the life sciences industry. Mm-hmm. We think that all these factors together offer a great value uh, proposition and a, a great alternative for life sciences companies to consider. Our, our very high quality of life supports a, a highly skilled uh, workforce. Here in Framingham, uh, we have a, a workforce that is highly educated and is uh, supporting the success of, of high-technology or knowledge-intensive companies across a whole range of industries here in Metro West, including the life sciences sector. Um, So tell us a little bit about what the tour was like. How did these international executives react to being in Framingham? Well, the purpose of the tour was to give uh, internationally uh, oriented life sciences executives uh, some exposure to all that we have to offer. 
And when I say we, I mean the city of Framingham working alongside uh, some important partners, the town of Natick, the Metro West Chamber of Commerce, and critically working alongside industry partners who have uh, expressed a commitment to helping the life sciences sector grow in the Metro West region. So we offer the opportunity for folks to uh, visit Framingham and Natick through a, through a bus that we arranged for transportation on the day after the bioconference. We brought them out here to visit uh, different types of businesses to see different types of possibilities here in Framingham and Metro West. Uh, for example, we started the day at Alira Health, located at 1 Grant Street in Framingham. It's a global life sciences uh, consultancy with its headquarters here. And we were able to use that opportunity to introduce executives to Massachusetts leaders, including Travis McCready, CEO of the Massachusetts Life Sciences Center, as well as executives from a range of Metro West Life Sciences companies to hear firsthand how that value proposition we offer plays out in terms of successful life sciences companies. We also offered uh, our visitors an opportunity to visit uh, Santa Fe Genzyme's Framingham Biomanufacturing Facility, uh, a leading facility uh, worldwide. And we ended the day at a facility called ABI Labs in Natick, essentially a home to a shared office and lab space supporting about 18 very early stage life sciences companies. So we were able to show uh, our visitors our, our great uh, ecosystem that can support small, medium, and very large companies. Great. So as you just outlined there, um, the life sciences sector has become an increasingly important part of the economy in Metro West. Tell us a little bit about how communities like Framingham have encouraged the growth of the sector within the area. Well, for Framingham, we see the life sciences sector as an important growth opportunity. It's also very well matched to our uh, stock of commercial land, commercial space in the infrastructure that we offer, including uh, water and wastewater service provided by the uh, our MWRA, or the Massachusetts Water Resources Authority. The Mass Biotech Council has identified Framingham as a bio-ready platinum community, which is the highest possible rating of readiness to support life sciences uh, development. And from all of that, we're looking for ways to draw attention of the sector to Framingham to help companies understand possibilities. One recent uh, effort uh, to, to draw this focus was to was for Framingham to uh, conduct a life sciences event in September of 2017, where we brought together leaders, business leaders from Framingham, regional leaders from the life sciences industry, as well as leaders from government, to talk about the status of the life sciences sector here, identify growth opportunities and challenges, and talk about ways to elevate the industry. And through that discussion, we certainly heard from local companies who expressed the desire to come together in Metro West to, to be able to share their growth challenges, the growth successes, and to, to celebrate their presence here without having to go into Boston and Cambridge to meet so many of those needs. And it was from that original dialogue that we were able to uh, foster follow-on conversations amongst the industry that is 
translating into the formation of a Metro West Life Sciences Network. And it's that network that provided so much support for the uh, bio bus tour we conducted uh, earlier this month. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the network. What else do you see on the horizon for the sector in the Metro West region? Well, I think that as the network comes together, there will be plenty of opportunities for executives as well as aspiring executives in the sector to come together to share their experiences, to learn from each other, uh, to ultimately support each other, and in important ways, they'll look for ways to collaborate. You know, an important motivator for this uh, network to come together was that uh, executives from one Framingham company developed business with another Framingham company, not through connections locally, but through a uh, convention uh, conducted in San Francisco. So we think there's a lot of... uh, there's a lot of potential to strengthen the cluster here through direct connections that we can provide here without relying on the, the convening events that may happen in other states or relying uh, on uh, the innovation networks alone, you know, in Boston and Cambridge. I don't think we'd ever expect to uh, emulate the, uh, the innovation ecosystem that's, that's there, but it's certainly something that we can build on and uh, promote growth here in Framingham. So in general, Framingham has a lot going on right now. So just tell us a little bit about what it's like working in a community that really is going through some exciting changes. Well, it's an exciting time here in Framingham. As, as you and I have discussed before, Framingham is in, amidst a transition from a, a town to city form of government. We elected our first mayor, Yvonne Spicer, who uh, assumed office in January this year. And uh, we're now all in government uh, uh, figuring out how to work together to strengthen the city. And what I mean by that is everybody involved is, is learning their roles and is developing uh, the, right, the right and effective ways to work together with the mayor, uh, the, the executive branch staff, as well as the city council, who, by meeting on a regular basis, will be able to help Framingham move quickly to uh, respond to and support emerging business opportunities that unfold here. So it's, it's a lot of fun. We're quite busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all uh, learning how to do some things in new ways and ultimately be uh, more responsive to the needs of the business community. That's great. Thank you, Arthur Robert, for joining us today. Thank you, Suzanne. And now, Two Minutes with Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi, Cayenne. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm terrific. Thanks. Um, I think, unfortunately, we have to talk about a not-so-terrific subject this afternoon, but there's been a lot of news coverage in recent weeks about our country's immigration policies, more specifically the separation of children from their parents at the border as these families arrive here seeking asylum from their homes. I know that, like so many other people, you find this practice unconscionable. Um, But what do you think? How do we come back from this? Uh, The national media has been abuzz this week on zero toleration uh, regarding our immigration policy. And I've been waiting to really get to this podcast to talk about it because I think it's one of the great disgraces in American history. 
to have this sitting president blame Democrats for an action that he created in separating babies from their parents. Um, I, I will tell you, though, 2,300 children have been taken away from their mothers and their fathers over the past few weeks, uh, and, and there's been a major backlash. Even at our state house yesterday, literally hundreds of people turned out to protest this activity. Um, separating, you know, separating families, and, and the younger the baby, the more traumatic the episode. Once again, though, we see some state-level leadership. Both the governor and the attorney general have, have kind of weighed in on this. The governor refusing to send National Guard to the southern Mexican-U.S. border uh, at, the, at the behest of the, of the Justice Department and the administration. So I applaud him and his activity. Maura Healy, our attorney general, has filed suit to make sure that separation of families doesn't continue to exist. Mrs. Trump uh, has weighed in, however, uh, to her credit. Uh, she's let the world know through her own tweets how wrong this is to separate, to separate families. And as of two or three hours ago, she was en route to, to, uh, to Texas to visit some of these young kids to make sure that reunification of families was going to take place. So I give her a very loud applause and only hope that some of it wipes off on her husband. So one of the really, I think, interesting things and, and almost even more sad is how many people in the Trump administration have come forward to defend this up until yesterday when he decided to put out an executive order. I think there was a Washington Post story today that said there was 14 lies that have been told about this policy. And now he just wants to sort of say, look at me, look at what I did, I'm fixing this problem, when it was a problem we, he created. How does the media in this country and all of us, how do we continue to hold him accountable? Just make sure that, that media outlets, especially the ones that are telling the truth, uh, continue to, to do exactly that, tell the truth, so that the truth will win out overall. Um, you, you know, it, it just proves that it's, it's, it's not a byproduct of this administration. Lying is a product of this administration. And we have to kind of wade through that and just understand what this administration and its, and its president does day in and day out. But uh, even when members of his own family, especially his wife, chimes in to correct a wrong, you, you know there's something amiss. And uh, again, the truth will, will win out every time. And so many leaders, including leaders here in Massachusetts and Boston, have spoken out and said, uh, same as you, that this is disgraceful. Um, it's a it's a black mark on our country forever. What do we do going forward? How do we how do we come back from this? You know, just to remind people that the American experience has been really nothing other than an experiment. We're a nation of immigrants. Uh, somebody said it yesterday, and it 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 it, it kind of reminded me of what Winston Churchill said in the forties. Europe would not exist without its immigrant populations coming on a, continuous, on a continuous basis. It's what makes the economy strong. It makes us all as a people stronger. And the more you talk about it, the more people will understand that. That's great. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air. Thank you for tuning in. Now be sure to subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and really anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. We'll talk to you next week.
OA On Air is developed, recorded, and produced in our Boston office here in Government Center. Production by Brooke O'Meara Sion. And content creation by the O'Neill & Associates team. Music is provided by Ben Sound and Long Zijun. To stay up to date with us here at OA On Air, be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes.